You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Good evening and welcome to Talk of the Bay. I'm your host, Rick Kleffel. Tonight we'll be talking with some local writers. First up, let's get straight to it with Dan White. His new book is The Cactus Eaters, How I Lost My Mind and Almost Found Myself on the Pacific Coast Trail. Thank you for joining me, Dan. It's great to be here. Dan, uh, tell me about um, just the basics of the Pacific Crest Trail. Wow. Give us an idea of what you tried to do. What is it? How long is it? How high is it? How steep is it? How level is it? This is a little bit more than walking across to the depths of the parking lot in it, Walmart, isn't it? It's really, it's just enormous. Well, it encompasses the entire lengths of California, Oregon, and Washington, but it doesn't go on the highways. You are way up on the mountain crest in the eastern, usually the eastern or central eastern parts of those states. So you go as far as 13,100 feet in Forester Pass. I might have slightly gotten that off. Um, and you go deep, you go into the Mojave Desert, so you're broiling. So there's some real extremes. And so you really, really need, if you want to do this properly, you really need to set aside at least five months, probably more. Now, it took me far longer than that, actually. <laughs> But <laughs> now this the the trail is I think two thousand six hundred fifty miles long. That's right. That's a long trail. Now here you are. You've been doing journalism for the Sentinel, and and you're a writer. Hmm. What made you make this? decision. This seems like kind of out of left field. It's funny because actually because the Pacific Crest Trail in some sense brought me to the Sentinel because that's what brought me to the West because I was I was working uh, at this paper called the Torrington Register Citizen um, in Torrington, Connecticut and I just felt like it was this dead-end situation for me and I just felt like I was looking for an excuse to get out of there and I flirted with the idea of doing the Europe trip just exploring Europe. And I thought, I want to do something original and unusual. And I guess I want to do something so unusual and original that I, that it was outside of my realm of experience. And I just saw a picture of uh, something in the John Muir Trail. I saw some glaciers and some pretty lakes. And I thought, that looks really cool. And I actually thought it looked pretty easy, too. <laughs> because it looked like I could see water in the picture. And I could see ice. And I could see snow. And it just seemed like... I could. Someone told me, compared to the Appalachian Trail, the tread is relatively gentle. So gentle is the word that I held in my mind for that whole time. I thought it's going to be gentle, it's going to be pretty, lots of water. That did not prove to be the case. Now, and you decided to take uh, your significant other. Tell us uh, about how this came about, because this seems like a, a big momentous part of the momentous decision, and maybe not the best advised part either. Well, it's one of those things where she had actually, Allison, that's the name, I, that's actually not her real name, it's her name for the book, um, had kicked around the idea of doing, of all things, the Appalachian Trail. And once again, the idea of being original, mm -hmm. of being different. Um, and she also wanted to get out of that job and she wanted to move on with her life, but she wanted to do something that was this exploration of the wilderness. She wanted to do something pretty wild. And so this kind of fit the bill for both of us. It was an escape. It felt like 
kind of rebelling in a sense because I didn't do the year that sometimes people take between high school and college and do some wild stuff. I kind of had this normal, pretty staid existence. And to both of us, it seemed like really zigging, really doing something just pretty wacky. And it, I just, it didn't occur to me then, I just didn't line up all the ducks beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> really, you know. Well, well, what ducks did you line up? I mean, well, you didn't. Did you plunge into this completely unprepared? The duck, the big duck that was put forward was just the was the was the credit card, the, the credit card of just spending money until you feel like you can't back out of something, buying tons of gear, buying a lot of stuff. That I got a big uh, parka that it actually didn't physically fit into my backpack. <laughs> Someone told me it was at some store in these coats. Oh, you definitely need this great big parka, and then I couldn't physically shove it into the pack, and I thought I, I have to leave this home um and so but the the thing about the spending and i have to admit uh, sheepishly that i did a lot of bragging and spending so spending and bragging which meant that uh by the time i was out there and realized that this was not going to be what i thought it was going to be i had spent and bragged so much that i couldn't really back out of it so there was no quitting so at the precise moment when i realized that this that i'm in over my head that I can't really do this, I also realized that I absolutely couldn't turn back either, which is quite a thing. It was kind of a pickle to be in. So. <laughs> That's one of my favorite phrases, to be in a pickle. To be in a pickle. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, talk uh, uh, about um, the kind of preparation in terms, I imagine that you have to contact parks and recreation and get yourself some permits and passes. You're doing, you're walking through an awful lot of land controlled by the government, and they are not necessarily so sanguine about just letting you stroll through there, are they? I remember getting in contact with quite a few agencies. Now, I may be a little bit wrong about this, but I am pretty sure that these days it's really streamlined. Mm. These days I'm pretty sure that you can get this one little thing, this 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 permission that just grants you full access. I'm pretty sure. I think that if you contact the Pacific Crest Trail Association, you can do that. But I remember doing some of that, but then leaving some things. I, I remember some parts where I was literally sneaking away from the ranger thinking, oh, I'm going to get busted. In fact, it was, <laughs> I'm just remembering this now as the desolation wilderness is thinking, oh, that guy looks like a ranger. He's going to arrest us. Um, so I had I had wilderness permits for a lot of it, but I th but once again there were there were some lapses. There were some places where I didn't have the proper permits either, which is I, that's not good. You really that's I'm not telling people to do that. You, it's a really good idea to have your permits in order, of course. So, well now embarking upon a 2,650 mile hike. Now it, part of this too, and this is kind of incredible, is the elevation you climb. This is not 2,650 miles walking across a, a giant Walmart parking lot, is it? No, it's not. See, that's the interesting thing is the trail itself does a lot of waffling because it's really kind of <laughs> um, like if you were to just get in your car and drive you know, kind of as the crow flies from one end point to the other, it wouldn't take terribly long. The two, it, it really burns a lot of miles with switchbacks, which on the one hand, it actually does in some cases make it, relatively speaking, gentle. But it takes you longer to, to get to a place too. And there were parts of it that were tremendously steep. And of course, I kind of handicapped myself by bringing a humongously uh, heavy backpack, which made it much more slow and, you know, much more strenuous, now, which I could have avoided. <laughs> <laughs> you're, a, you're a writer. Mm -hmm. Writers are not necessarily known for being 
the kind of guys who are going to embark upon and fairly challenging, no matter how you look at it, a wilderness trek. How much physical preparation? Talk about how you physically prepared for this. It, in retrospect, also seems like a joke because I had it in my mind that if you read books by hardcore people who were really fit, then that you somehow <laughs> were fit through osmosis. I remember reading Bradford Angier, who went out and he, he, uh, he could survive and make his own shelters. And I remember he ate a porcupine. He ate just the liver. <laughs> like he kind of got the spines out of there and he just went right from the liver. And he, he, he actually wrote that it was uncommonly toothsome. I remember that. And I kind of thought, well, yeah, I'm hardcore through by osmosis by reading this stuff. And I remember doing some ridiculous preparations. I, I went cross country uh, skiing, thinking that was going to help in snowy conditions. And I did a little bit, I did a brief, it, to my credit, I did a brief shakedown hike on the Appalachian Trail. I think I did 11 miles. And I remember thinking, wow, that was really hard. And uh, 11 miles. Um, <laughs> so I guess my advice, if people are thinking of, of doing it, um, definitely do uh, more training than I did. Go out there and just be in the backcountry for a longer period of time to see if you want to do it. And the other thing I would add to that is, is field test your gear. Because if you don't, this stuff might explode on you, as it did on me. And, you know, you are completely taken aback by that. So, well. This book is just enormously fun to read. It's really beautifully written. The, the prose is Thank great. Um, and, and I love the, the sense of story and organization you have here. So I'd like you to talk uh, about it in terms of the writing. Uh, you're out there on the trail. How, what kind of notes did you keep on the trail? Is this, are you talking into a box? Or are you writing sh stuff down? I wrote down a ton of stuff. In fact, you know, people can't see this. Oh, I'm I can showing, hear it. It's great. You, you can hear it rattling. But um, diary entries, it, it was like this. I had these cheap diaries that I brought along, <sighs> and I brought tons of them. You can see you can see literally this is held together with tape. It looks like surgical tape. Um, no wonder and, your backpack was heavy. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> and, so, and so I would write in the tent, and um, I when I couldn't really write things down kind of verbatim, I would block it out in the tent. And the the weird thing, just kind of a, the basics of what happened and then fill that in later on. But the, the weird thing about that is for most of the trek, maybe for the first part of it, there was some self-consciousness in the diary entries when I thought I'm getting some um, material for a book. But for most of it, the idea of doing a book actually wasn't even on my mind. I just kind of wanted to survive this thing. And so there's this really naive quality to the writing, which actually was really helpful for me later on because it's almost like you are looking at the memories and the writings of somebody else. You know, it was, you, I was able to kind of um, have more of a perspective mm. on what happened because mm -hmm. of that. So. I, I guess that, that's true because when you've just written something and committed yourself to it, there's that feeling that it's got it must have come out perfect the first time. And why should you even touch your precious prose? Where when you're just kind of sketching in, it gives you, I guess, stuff you know you have to revise. You're ready to revise, and you can apply your your more active prose mind to it. It's a really good idea to let that stuff sit around for a while. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, I literally had these things. I had to. It was kind of a Herculean effort for me to get all the diaries back together because there were all these different. <laughs> storage containers, and for a while they were in a shed in Pleasure Point out here. They were in a shed, and then it rained. It was an El Nino year, and some of the diaries kind of, uh, 
the the prose sort of melted. It was these <laughs> not waterproof. Uh, it wasn't archival ink, and so. Um, that's one re- one reason why uh, there's a, the Pacific Northwest section. Parts of it are a little bit uh, streamlined because there there were some things that just got washed away in <laughs> El Nino. <laughs> but barring flooding, it's it's a good idea to let that stuff sit around because um, for a while because you can get more of a perspective and also things become funnier in retrospect. Mm. Um, when this happened um, immediately after this happened, there's nothing about it that struck me particularly as, you know, as super funny because it was some of the stuff at the time seemed uh, harrowing sometimes. Well, so. yes. <laughs> uh, and I'm thinking of that picture you showed me of yourself. Uh, I'd like you to do your best to describe that picture and, and tell us how you felt. Well, we'll put this up on, on my blog. Uh, tell us how you felt where you were and how you felt when that picture was taken. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the picture right now, and it, imagine this really grainy picture uh, with me with this really, I'm wearing this kind of outdoor survival uh, hat and a blue bandana, and just this really scary uh, expression and these kind of speckled foothills behind me. And um, it's this moment, it's, it's fairly close to Interstate 10, where I had just been chased by a cow, no, not a cow, a bull, um, <laughs> half-heartedly chased, but still it's scary, a bull. And it was really incredibly hot outside. And I had one of those crummy uh, old school cameras that used to get it. I'm not sure if they still have them at drugstores and you buy them for 10 bucks and the film's already in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remembered, I want to preserve this moment where I am um, out here on this trail. I'm was totally by myself. I had no telecommunications equipment of any kind. Um, and I just snapped the picture because I wanted to preserve that that crazy, that on-the-edge moment of being on the, on the PCT. So that's the picture that'll be on the web. So. Now, one of the things I think that is, is so interesting uh, about this book is the way you develop your own character and, and Allison's character and, and the way this relationship progresses. And this must have been a, a fairly difficult aspect of the book to write and, and to handle. Could you talk about um, making notes of the experience while it's happening? How and and then going back, it it it'd be like you know looking at, at old love letters, which is, might not be necessarily fun. Not necessarily fun at all. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just and and quite frankly, I mean. Just getting the voice together for this book, and and also conjuring who I was then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at moments of doing some pretty goofy things and some pretty sometimes some selfish things. Um, it, it, that was probably the most difficult part of it because um, you're kind of trying to create this well-rounded picture of that relationship and you know, our attitudes before and after the trail, and also kind of doing this bio, biographical character sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of felt like that that came in layers for me. I felt like I had to keep in the drafting process process I had to keep going back and kind of adding more details, more um, nuance to those to, to me and to to Allison. A lot of things that I just kept finding and rereading in the letters, in the the diaries, and also talking to people mm-hmm. who were aware of this, who knew us then, and just kind of taking. I, I think the difficult part of it was taking all these different fragments and trying to create this sort of coherent whole well that's one of the things i think you do best is is that we really get a picture of this whole trip and and it's you know effect 
uh, on you. And, and one of the things I thought was was most interesting, you were just mentioning this, you have a proclivity to be chased and have to deal with animals. And, and tell us That's, about the, your, your adventures with animals. I, I, I thought the bear was particularly striking. Yeah, I've had so many uh, strong reactions, pro and con, to the, the bear situation. But you're talking about the bear where I kind of walked right into it, or yeah. wa- almost walked into it. Yeah, um, there was a situation where uh, Allison and I kept seeing bears. And you do see an awful lot of bears if you do something this long. Um, and I, it was, I know this, it was in Northern California. And there was the situation where she uh, felt like I kept scaring the bears away. So I remember going on tippy toe and sort of sneaking up in a great big fat one. And then after a while going around the corner and seeing this huge bear there. And for a while I had this this idea that it was a statue, that it wasn't a real bear. And I almost, and then it turned around and then it bolted and I was terrified and you're never supposed to run away from these things. And of course I just absolutely bolted. Um, I ran so fast. Um, it's, it's funny because I had a repeat of that situation um, with my wife, Amy, not too long ago in Sequoia uh, National Park where I almost walked into a bear. But that this time, I was good. I froze. I put my hands up. I walked away. But at the time, I just didn't have that kind of know-how or savvy. I was just kind of winging it. So We'll be right back with Dan White talking about the cactus eaters in a moment. Support for KUSP is by Santa Cruz Coffee Roasting Company. Santa Cruz Coffee Roasting Company features brew bar, individually dripped, certified, fair-tried organic coffees located in the Palomar Inn on Pacific Avenue. speaking with Dan White. His book is The Cactus Eaters. Dan, one of the things I think that makes this book uh, so so compelling is the just the concept of how much wilderness there is left in America. So many of us spend our times clustered in cities, clustered around the coast, uh, you know, living in suburbs. And, and one of the things that this book brings to mind is just how much that of America is not like that. That I think is the most enchanting part of the trail is this idea that you can set foot on this trail at, at Campo, right near the California-Mexico border, and be in the backcountry for almost the entire time until you hit uh, British Columbia. And on the way, you see these enormous expanses of open space. Um, and it's it's funny because you really often feel like you're at a different time. It's like traveling to another to another time. Every once in a while, something will break that 
that illusion. Um, there is there is a chunk uh, near Snoqualmie Pass where there's some checkerboard uh, clear cuts, which is pretty sobering to see. Mm-hmm. But really, for the most part, it's uh, th- it's also really remote. Mm. For a national scenic trail, mm-hmm. uh, um, Appalachian Trail, uh, I mean, you, you see a lot of folks on the Appalachian Trail. I've only done 40 miles or so of that. But the, the PCT, uh, I remember sometimes I would see nobody all day long in just some absolutely gorgeous country. And, uh, and people can also, people can plan these chunks of the trail too. People can do these chunks of the the Cascades. People can do two or three days on the John Muir Trail. And you, you can really get that sense of just how much beautifully preserved open space there still is. It's 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 really amazing. Well, I, I'd like you to now, you've been using the I word a lot, mm-hmm. but this is a book that includes the we word a lot because you had some company. That's right. <laughs> so talk a lot ab- of company. <laughs> well, yeah. well, talk about talk about uh, you know working through a, a relationship uh, and watching it change before your eyes while you're kind of stranded out in the middle of uh, you know nowhere. Well, the, the thing about the the, the trail. The Pacific Trail, and I just talked about the beautiful part of it. Now, the not so beautiful <laughs> part of it is the, the the way it kind of peels things back like layers, like an onion. So it, that's the way it will work on a relationship too. Is you start <laughs> discovering things about the relationship and each other that either didn't occur to you or they weren't that big a deal before you hiked. It's almost like every little thing that would be annoying or challenging would be it's like it through an electron microscope it's just suddenly just hugely expanded and i know for me that was certainly the case where i could be overbearing and i certainly made some rash silly you know decisions and the thing about the trail too is whoever you're with whether it's a romantic partner or whether you're hiking in a group um you just don't necessarily know how you're going to respond Hmm, to hmm. the extreme parts of it until uh-huh. you're actually out there. You can tell yourself, oh, okay, well, my girlfriend and I, we will compromise and we'll, we'll figure this out and we'll do this and we'll wing it. But it, just, it doesn't always happen like that. Um, and I think, that, I think the thing that, that caught me by surprise was, um, gosh, just how obsessed I was with completing this hike, almost to the... Uh, almost to the uh, to obliterating everything else in comparison. And that's not a great dynamic for a relationship where one person is so completely obsessed with a goal, you know. Um, but, you know, the same thing holds true not just for romantic relationships but with group dynamics out there. Because mm-hmm. if you've got uh, some difficult personalities in the mix, I mean, all that stuff's going to come out when you're doing a trail too. So. Well, uh, also too, um, over a journey this long, over a time period this long, and in circumstances that aren't your normal everyday circumstances, your own character and the characters of those you are with are going to change. So there's a, a transformational aspect of the journey too. And I'd like you to address that in terms of how you felt about yourself before, how you felt after, and how, how what happened during the trip um, brought about any changes. <laughs> I think what happens is the changes come through all that, the revelation that, uh, that you experience, all those layers being peeled back. Mm-hmm. So you learn, you really do learn the, about the worst and the best of yourself in some striking ways. For example, uh, 
I learned in this particular context of doing the trail that I was kind of monomaniacal about this. I've got to finish this at all costs. And that I could be really over the top with that. And I could really be, at some cases, you know, pretty selfish. In fact, since it's been out for a while, there, there have been some strong reactions. I've had some emails. <laughs> How could you do this? Um, and and so that's the that's the dark side, you know? And then I think for me, the, the good side's kind of a variation of that. I thought, wow, I was able to, uh, I don't want to give too much away. Obviously, I didn't perish during this thing, but <laughs> I was able to, you know, to figure this out and, and to, to eventually figure out how to do this. And so it made me think, okay, well, the, the, the good side of that would be the fact that I, I didn't give up, that I kept, you know, coming back for more punishment. <laughs> so that's, that's not necessarily such a bad thing. Well, you know, when you talk about punishment, one of the things that, when you think about the Appalachian Trail, you think, well, this is, you know, a long walk through the forest and it's pretty much, as for what little I know, I, I'm not going to expect a lot of variety. The Pacific Crest Trail, that's not the case. This is wildly, you're going from, you know, essentially the North Pole to the Sahara Desert almost in many ways. Well, there is a because I can't really speak for that too much because the AT I, I have to say that I've done chunks of it and I do have to say that I find it phenomenally difficult. Mm. Not only because it's uh, it's just so ridiculously steep. It's almost <laughs> like someone said, "Let's just put every steep hill we can find and link them together." But also, um, <laughs> I went I went during mud season. You say don't go during mud season, and I don't know what mud season is, but it's just very bad. You shouldn't do it. And I went up there, and I actually was on the, the the top of the second highest mountain in Vermont and I actually lost a shoe. I lost one of my hiking shoes so I had to hop down the mountain with one uh, shoe and my sock sticking out. So the Appalachian Trail it's kind of bad news. I'm trying to stay away from it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, the, <laughs> to get back to your question though, <laughs> Pacific Crest Trail does have an incredible amount of, of variety and I think that's what's so intriguing about it mm-hmm. because of the desert conditions, because you're in these kind of alpine conditions and um, you see so much change. Like if you pay close attention, the animals change, the scenery changes, but those are the same qualities that also make it really challenging because you've got to know how to react and how to uh, behave when you're... Um, trying to use your ice axe to uh, make some steps in a, kind of a snow wall, right? And you also have to know how to conserve water, not my forte like from the title. But um, <laughs> And so you need a whole a variety of skills. I mean, I don't know what it's like now with the fancy stuff that people would have. This was before. This was a while back when I did this. So we didn't have the orienteering devices and things that might, I'm assuming that might make it somewhat easier. Um, for, for me, sometimes the trail gets covered up it, the snow would blot out big chunks of the John Muir Trail, and you're kind of thinking, where is it? You're out there on the Pacific Crest Trail, but you, you can't find it. It's this big, long thing, and you don't know where it is. So, Well, y- you mentioned the title of the book. Yeah. Uh, explain to us where that comes from. Well, the, the, the funny, well, funny, peculiar thing about the title is you have this experience, you think, I am never going to tell anyone about this. And then it ends up being the title of this published thing. <laughs> it's like something that you're trying to cover up. But um, the title of the book comes from this scene in which I uh, made a horrible decision involving water conservation, ended up dumping a bunch of water. Because as I mentioned, the, tra- the, the backpack was so uh, 
so enormously heavy and that the consequence of that decision was to be really parched and to be so out of it so dehydrated that I thought it would be a great idea to uh, to get water from a, a prickly pear cactus a big lobe of one particular lobe just by chewing it with no not preparing it in any way just sticking it in my mouth and chewing it and hoping for the best and that went about as well as you can imagine so <laughs> and so so that's that's what gave the book the title and and people have asked why cactus eaters when uh you were the one who ate it not anybody else and i just thought it sounded better i have no other explanation <laughs> oh there's a, a famous story by i think uh lord de dunsany called the lotus eaters the lotus eaters yeah and that's that's what this made me think of uh maybe less uh uh, less uh, enjoyable. Now, you've also done quite a bit of, uh, you know, news writing and journalism, and I'd like you to talk just a little bit about how this informed that and how that informed this. Well, um, I've done other uh, travel writing, uh, freelance travel writing, mm-hmm. and I think that one thing that I that I learned from this, sometimes I don't apply the lessons, of course, but... <laughs> <laughs> I really do try to, before I do a travel piece now, try to soften it up by learning as much as I can about that particular place, whether that information is going to help me survive or whether it'll just give me a broader context for the story. you know. And so I really try to uh, just do as much, once again, book learning. <laughs> a lot of good that did me for the Pacific Crest Trail, but uh, book learning and interviews and things so I have a better sense of the idea of the place. Mm. Like there's this wonderful, uh, there's a book called On Writing Well by William uh, Zinzer and there's a great chapter on travel writing where he talks about trying to go to a place and learn about a place so so you really can isolate the qualities that make it special, that make it really different. And I always try to get to the idea of that place even before I embark on something like that. So... I've been speaking with Dan White. His book is The Cactus Eaters, How I Lost My Mind and Almost Found Myself on the Pacific Crest Trail. Thank you for joining me, Dan. Oh, thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.